It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time to answer some mailbag questions. So for that, we bring in from the land down under, Mr. Luke Grant. And we will start off with a question from Jim D. He says, if you were GM, what would be your offseason plan and who would you be targeting in free agency in the draft? That's such a broad question. The way I would answer this is... It's hard to know specifically who you're going to be able to target in the draft and in free agency because we don't know who these guys are going to want to play for in free agency and in the draft. There's so much to be determined in terms of stock rising and falling between now and when the draft actually happens. I'll just go with an overall philosophy. I would be looking to add as many quality offensive linemen and edge rushers as I could because I think edge rusher is the one thing that's really holding this defense back from being an excellent unit. They could use upgrades at corner as well, believe me. But I think what San Francisco showed is that if you can get to the opposing quarterback regularly, having elite corners isn't as important as having a front seven that can just terrorize quarterbacks. And then as far as the offensive line, we know what the issues were there, obviously. And they've got to add as many quality pieces there as they can. And I'd be looking to add wide receivers in the draft, no question. We've talked about this, Luke. There's so many good wide receivers in this draft. You just can't miss if you pick a couple of them. You could get two of them. As long as you don't pick Chad Hansen in or Darius Stewart, you should be doing all right. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head again. I mean, you have to target what the strengths are of each, you know, free agency and the draft. So I'm looking at the offensive line and edge, their premium positions and their deep in free agency. You'd love to see Joe get one of the top five or six guys from each of those positions. I want to re-sign Brian Poole and that's high on my priority list because we're already super short at, at cornerback anyway and he was a top three slot last year so that's high on my priority list as well and as far as the draft ideally I want an offensive lineman at 11 and I want to double dip at wide receiver at some point in the mid rounds I'm not going to give you player names because as you said there's so much that goes into who wants to come here who gets re-signed franchised but that's kind of the philosophy and the positional value and where I'd take them so that's what I'd lean towards doing Next question comes in from Matty Trainer. He says, what are your thoughts on back-to-back pro bowler Andrus Pete from New Orleans who's played both guard and tackle? Even though he's had breeze, it shouldn't be overlooked that he only gave up three sacks and 575 snaps in an offense that tends to pass a significant amount. Andrus Pete has seen better days. I think he's starting to break down. I guess if they could get him on a reasonable deal, but he's not a guy that I'd be willing to break the bank for at this point. I think that he's one of the weaker players on that New Orleans offensive line, to be honest with you. And by the way, I realize that it's weird to refer to somebody who's not even 27 yet. He's going to turn 27 during the season 
this coming year as having his best years behind him. But I do think that you have to be mindful when you sign these guys of the decline that's coming. And we've seen this many times. Look at Tremaine Johnson as an example. But you know that it's coming. And I think that we've already started to see it with Andrus Pete. So if it was a decent deal, I wouldn't hate it just because the Jets need any and all help they can get. But he's not a guy that I'd be willing to give a big contract to. Yeah, I think the other thing to consider is the style of the the Breeze and Peyton offense in in, uh, in New Orleans. It's such up-tempo, quick passing. It's very easy to hide your weaker offensive lineman. Um, he's going to get a, a high-value deal that isn't probably going to equate to the performance we see on the field. I think there's better options, whether that's re-signing guys internally like Beecham and, and Alex Lewis. I, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on Pete, and I don't think that's what Joe Douglas will do either. Next question comes in from Randy Sherman, and here we go with the Odell Beckham speculation, Luke. <laughs> says a lot of smoke coming out regarding an Odell Beckham return to New York, but this time in Gotham Green. Realistically, if this goes down, what would the compensation be? Can you possibly see an Adam swap considering that the Browns have a need at safety? So let's start with the first part of that. I don't think there's any way that Odell Beckham is getting traded. I checked with my Browns people, specifically Jeff Lloyd, but a couple of others, and was told the same thing by all of them. They'd all be completely shocked if Odell Beckham was traded. Now, obviously, that could change at some point. Maybe Stefanski gets in there and decides that he wants to go in a different direction and then changes his mind and they go ahead and trade Beckham. But as of now, from what I understand, he's not getting traded. Also... The Jets are not trading for Odell Beckham for a variety of reasons. The first one is Odell Beckham's making $20 million. Joe Douglas is not a guy that believes in that type of asset allocation, giving a wide receiver $20 million. Also, the day that Adam Gase signs off on a trade for Odell Beckham is the day that the Queen of England comes on this podcast with Luke and I and answers mailbag questions. There is no way that Adam Gase wouldn't put up a huge fuss about not wanting Odell Beckham. So I don't think Beckham's getting traded, and certainly if he does, I don't think he's getting traded to the Jets. Now, let's say that Gase was fine with Odell Beckham, and let's say that the Browns were willing to trade him to the Jets. What would the compensation be? It's a tough one. Remember what the Browns gave up. You have to figure that they're not going to get anything close to what they gave up for him. Would it be a second-round pick? Maybe. Maybe a second rounder that could become a first rounder if Odell Beckham becomes an all-pro or something. That's a possibility. As far as a flip for Jamal Adams, I just can't see that happening. A, I think it would be a terrible move. I think Jamal Adams turned into just an absolute havoc causer on defense this past year. He was always an excellent player, but I think he's turned into a truly elite top-of-the-line, top-of-the-league player now. And a guy that I think can impact the game from so many different areas, even at a position that's not traditionally a high-impact position. I think Jets fans would be infuriated also if they traded Jamal Adams, but I don't think they're going to be looking to do that. I think if Joe Douglas was going to trade Adams, it would be for a haul of draft picks, not in a deal for Odell Beckham. Could you imagine for a minute Adam Gase, who's the king of big personalities, and Dominican Sue, Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, could you imagine him signing off on a trade for Odell Beckham? It would be insane. It's not going to happen. Uh, as entertaining as it would be, the meltdowns, it's, it's just not a realistic 
outcome, especially when you look at Joe Douglas. We've spent half the podcast talking about how he's not going to draft a receiver at 11. He's not going to spend $20 million in a draft asset on Odo Beckham either. I just, I just don't think it's a fit. The reason this is coming out, it's coming out of Odell Beckham's camp, not from Cleveland. Odell wants to play in the spotlight. Last year, he talked about how he'd even return and play for the Giants. He'd love to play in LA. He's not happy in Cleveland or another market like Indy or somewhere like that. He wants the bright lights. That's where this is all coming from. Uh, it's speculation. And in the end of the day, he's going to be playing in Cleveland in 2020. Next question comes in from Damien at Quicker Than Fast. He says, thoughts on the Jets in the 2020 trade market? Two players who could very well be available from the Redskins, Trent Williams and Ryan Kerrigan. I just don't think either one of those guys makes a lot of sense for the Jets. I know Trent Williams is great, but he hasn't played in a year. He's 32 years old. He's making a ton of money. And then you look on the other end of things at Ryan Kerrigan, who I'm a huge fan of, but he's got a big cap hit and he's also in his early 30s I think those are moves for teams that are closer to really competing for something the Jets are a team that needs to get younger players not older players so even though I like both of those guys a lot I just don't think they would be good moves for the Jets right now yeah I mean I'll start with Kerrigan I think not only has he got that the cap hit he's also a declining player I'm not a fan of sacks at all, but I don't have pressure numbers in front of me. He's gone from 13 sacks two years ago to, to five and a half last year. Obviously, it's not the ideal stat to use, but he's a he's a declining player. Um, and I don't think he's realistic at all. I think the thing that tells you that he's not the player he was is who Washington have drafted. They drafted Montez Sweat. They're going to draft Chase Young this year. That's telling you something about Ryan Kerrigan. Um, and as you mentioned on Trent Williams, there's an age concern. There's the health concerns. There's giving up assets. There's paying him his contract, which he needs to be renewed as well. There's too many moving pieces and expenses for, for Joe to consider that, in my opinion. Next question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, was listening to Albert Brewer's podcast and somebody asked how the league and draft analysts got it so wrong on, quote, massive draft bust, Quinn and Williams. My question is, assuming this was a Jets fan, because who else would have asked that question? What is wrong with Jets fans? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start? Yeah, really. We could be here all day. So here's the deal. I think that a lot of people were super impatient and I think this goes back to a variety of factors. The first is that there are a lot of people that were anti-interior defensive line to begin with. Then I think there are a lot of people that became anti-Quinn and Williams, not only because they were anti-interior defensive line, but at least on Twitter, because it was a pushback to myself, to Luke, to Joe Blewett, all of us who were super high on Quinn and Williams and really touting him. It became a little bit of that, too, for some of the people on Twitter, on top of the fact that they generally were anti-interior defensive line. And then when they saw the gaudy sack numbers from some of the rookies, now I don't know why anybody would get upset about Nick Bosa because the Jets couldn't have drafted him even if they wanted to, so you should put him aside. But then they saw Josh Allen get 10 sacks without looking at the context or the tape to see exactly how he got the 10 sacks and what the pressure numbers were and all these other things. And people saw that, and then they saw Quinnen not putting up the gaudy numbers, and they said, wow, this is who the Jets should have drafted. I knew they shouldn't have gotten an interior defensive line. Quinnen Williams was an Aaron Donald in year one. He's a total bust. What Jets fans have been conditioned to think is that 
everything is going to go wrong. Plus, also, they look at things the way that the media does in terms of everything is based on sex. So, Luke, you and I have talked about this. I've talked to Michael Nanny about this. I've talked about this many times. I was on the One Giant podcast to talk about this when Leonard Williams got traded to the Giants. Everybody wants to trash Leonard Williams and talk all this smack about Leonard Williams and he's not an impact player and he doesn't do anything and he had no sacks. Leonard Williams is consistently in the quarterback's face, consistently altering plays. He's not a finisher, and that's why he's not an elite player, but he's a really good player. And so I don't want Quinn and Williams to only be a really good player like Leonard Williams. I want him to be an elite player, a guy that finishes on top of the stuff that Leonard Williams does. But I think that a lot of people don't value any of that. And then, Luke, as we touched on earlier, I think that there's the factor of he was used in a different way by Greg Williams, who didn't particularly care what Quentin Williams' stats were. He was doing what he thought he had to do week to week to get by, so he used Quentin a lot to cover up for the fact that he had two inside linebackers that were out for the season. Burgess and Hewitt are okay fill-ins, but they're not guys that are going to be able to make the kind of impact that you really need them to make on a week-to-week basis. Certainly nowhere near as good as Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley, so he used him to clog up holes and take on two and three blockers and that's just the way that it was Greg Williams doesn't care about individual numbers so you put all of that together and there's the seen versus the unseen because Jets fans a lot of them only saw the numbers and they only said oh I didn't see him get sacks meanwhile they saw Josh Allen getting all these sacks but they didn't take a look at the big picture in terms of what Quentin Williams was asked to do what he did when he was actually unleashed and then what led to what happened with Josh Allen which a lot of them were vulture sacks and Luke we've talked about this when you're running away from Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe makes things a lot easier for Josh Allen so I I think that's really the answer to what you're talking about. Jets fans need to relax a little bit. He's 21 years old. And just because he wasn't Aaron Donald week one of the 2019 NFL season doesn't mean that there's any reason to think that he still can't be an elite player. I mean, the thing that gets me the most when people talk about Quinn and Williams is imagine calling a 21-year-old player a bust after 400 to 500 snaps. Like, it's it's unfathomable to me. I just, I don't understand it. I'll never get that concept. I understand we're living a give-it-to-me-now world, but it's just, it's unbelievable. And the other thing I want to point out is if you look at two of the last three Super Bowl champions, Kansas City, obviously, in 2019, and then in 2017, it was the Eagles. For me, Chris Jones should have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. And I'm sure I'll get pushed back for that, but I strongly believe that. His first two seasons, he was next to invisible. He's turned into top two in pressures in the NFL over the last three years. And then in 2017, Fletcher Cox, unbelievable player. Again, like Quinnen Williams, like Calais Campbell, and like Chris Jones, limited production early on in their careers. This is not unusual for interior defensive tackles, let alone one that was utilized like Quinnen was. And then touching on Josh Allen, I 100% agree. The production was inflated by the personnel he was playing with. And also looking at sack numbers and how those sacks come and whether he was the one causing the pressure. There's so many things that go into it. I'm not a PFF guy, but I think they're on the right track when they talk about how you know easy it is to, to influence sacks as far as how many different factors there are. So I don't look into that. I think Quinnen Williams is going to be a top 10 defensive player in the league in the next three years, and I'll stand by that. Like you said, if you go back and look at that Eagles team, everybody will talk about the sack numbers for Brandon Graham, but Brandon Graham doesn't do anything close to what he does without Fletcher Cox up there causing havoc. And then you look also 
at the Jaguars and look at what Josh Allen did. He doesn't do anything close to that without Ngakwe on the other side and without Calais Campbell up front. So there's so much to this, but this is why I think it's so important that the Jets add an edge rusher now. We've talked about this, Luke. You want to get interior and exterior guys that can get to the quarterback. It doesn't matter what order you get them in. You look at the 49ers. They added the interior guys first and then the exterior guys, but now they have an elite unit. So the Jets have the interior guys now. They've got to get the exterior guys so hopefully Joe Douglas is able to do that either in free agency or the draft or both could be both could get an edge rusher in free agency and an edge rusher in the draft and then all of a sudden this Jets defense could really be a unit that will cause some havoc across the NFL but either way as you said Luke Quinn Williams is 21 years old so making any kind of definitive judgment right now would be a little bit ridiculous and to me the only people that are doing it are the ones who didn't want him in the first place or just looking to fulfill their narrative. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from NYJ Matt. He says, on my mind, last four drafted wide receivers, Devin Smith, Sharon Peak, Ardarius Stewart, Chad Hansen, career stats with Jets, 52 catches, 540 yards, three touchdowns. Darius Slayton as a rookie with the Giants, 48 catches, 740 yards, eight touchdowns. I want offensive line, but for the love of God, can the Jets at least come out with an okay wide receiver? Well, here's the good news. As Luke and I have talked about numerous times, 
there are plenty of good wide receivers in this draft, and there's no reason why you can't get good ones in the third and the fourth. The question is going to be, can Joe Douglas identify the right ones, and more specifically, the right ones for the Jets? Because as we know, situation and scheme determines a lot in terms of how good a wide receiver is going to be, especially early on. So the good news is there's ample opportunity to get somebody who's going to produce the way that Slayton did for the Giants last year. What actually happens in the draft and who Joe Douglas gets and how good that guy ends up being with the Jets, that remains to be seen. But the opportunity's there. Agreed. I think we've mentioned the depth enough of the the wide receiver class. One thing I want to say is it's a bit of a pain point for me with Jets Twitter, as much as I love every one of you, is we love to compare the future to past regimes. You saw it a ton with, well, you know, Mike McCagnon's better than Idzik or you know, we drafted these receivers in the past, so why would we go back to the well and draft receivers in the third round when we can take Jerry Judy to 11? Past regimes, past decisions, they don't impact what's going to happen. I think Joe's going to be fine finding a wide receiver. This is the class to do it. There's an abundance of talent. He's a much better evaluator than Mike McCagnon was, and I've got all faith that, that it's going to work out at the receiver position. And it's all based on the individual prospects. It's the same way that people say, you can't pick an offensive tackle if he's the fourth offensive tackle that gets drafted. Why would you do that if you could get the number one wide receiver? Well, ask yourself this question. Why did three teams pick offensive tackle over wide receiver in the first place? If the wide receiver was that amazing and if they felt it was that important, why would the Jets be sitting there and be the team to pull the trigger when all these other teams didn't? It's because... Each prospect is different. Just because you're talking about three offensive tackles going before you and the guy that's sitting there being the fourth doesn't mean that you may not have that fourth offensive tackle ranked in your top eight prospects or something because you may just think that this year happens to be an excellent year for offensive tackles. And it's the same thing with wide receivers. You can't just say the Jets have had no luck drafting wide receivers in the past. You don't look at the position. You look at the particular players and you evaluate them accordingly. That's how you have to do it you can't go based on weird criteria like that guy came from such and such school and the team hasn't had luck drafting guys from there so they should stay away nope it's got to be based on the individual prospect and that's the way that they should proceed pretty much every single time they enter the draft and I'm confident that Joe Douglas is going to do that whether or not he lands the right wide receivers as I said that remains to be seen that's going to wrap up the mailbag. Make sure that you follow Luke on Twitter at LukeGrant7. His draft guide is going to be coming out within the next couple of weeks. He'll be back on the show to talk about his thoughts on a variety of prospects. So I'm looking forward to talking to Luke once he has all his evaluations down. In the meantime, make sure that you're checking out his wit and wisdom on Twitter as he always has very strong opinions and is willing to defend them, sometimes a little too vociferously, but that's what makes Twitter fun sometimes. Also, if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. It's a great way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way in helping us, so if you could do that for us, we'd be very grateful and if you haven't subscribed yet to Badlands, the brand new podcast series from Connor Rogers and Joe Caparoso, go ahead and do that now. It's on Podbean and you can find the links to it at Jay Caparoso and at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. It's a 10 part long form series where they look at the 10 year drought that the New York Jets have had 
where they haven't made the playoffs and they've really struggled to build this team. They look at what went wrong and how things can be fixed. Takes an in-depth look at the pieces that are here currently, how they ended up here, some of the things that went wrong in building the team, some of the things that could go right down the line if the Jets play their cards right. It's a fantastic series, some great guests on there. Alex Jimo, who used to be the Jets team reporter, told some phenomenal stories about her time with the Jets in 2016, including one that involved Woody Johnson asking her opinion on how the Jets were playing and it leading to a closed-door meeting with the players. So if you haven't heard that story yet, it's well worth subscribing just for that. Plus, they've got Sam Monson from PFF to talk about Sam Darnold, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report to go through all the Jets' draft woes and how they can fix them. Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap to discuss all the disastrous moves the Jets have made to destroy their salary cap and what they can do to get it right in the future. It's a great series, so if you haven't had a chance to subscribe yet, I highly recommend doing it again. It's at Podbean, but you can also find all the information at Jay Caparoso and at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with part six of the Sam Darnold Project. Remember, Michael Nania studied every single play that Sam Darnold has taken a snap in 2018 and 2019, and we're working our way through his entire career so far in the pros. We've gotten through the first season of his career, his rookie year, 2018, and then we went through his first three games of 2019. Now we're going to get into games four through six. That'll be happening tomorrow. If you missed any of our combine coverage, it's in our archives. George Bremer from CNHI Sports and the Anderson Bulletin was on the scene in Indianapolis giving us the lowdown on the workouts, on all the media day coverage. So it's a fantastic listen if you want to get an idea of what's really going on around the combine. Lots of news and notes and whispers too. So go into the archives and give that a listen before you hear a brand new episode with Michael on the Sam Darnold Project tomorrow. And you'll be able to find that in the place where you know you can go for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.